Welcome to the Startup Help Desk. We are experienced founders, executives, and investors here to answer your questions about starting companies, building companies, and the meaning of life. My name is Sean Burns. I'm a multi-time founder of large companies in the software space. I'm also an investor and have coached hundreds of companies at this point. I write a newsletter called The Breaking Point, and I have made almost every mistake in the book building my companies. I'm here to share that knowledge with you. I'm joined by two excellent founders themselves, Nick and Ash. Hey, this is Nick Melionis. I am co-founder and CEO of a startup called Rev. We build tools that help folks learn innovation skills and start companies. This is my second startup. My first one was a crypto startup. We started that back in 2013 and sold it in 2018. Since then, I've been working hard to support early stage founders and help have helped hundreds of folks learn great innovation skills and bring their ideas to life. Thanks so much for having me. Hi, everyone. My name is Ash Rust. I'm a pre-seed B2B investor based in San Francisco. I mostly invest in companies in the US, UK, and Canada through my fund, Sterling Road. I've also worked at other VC firms like Trinity Ventures and Bullpen Capital, where I was an entrepreneur in residence and an advisor. And before investing, I was an entrepreneur myself, most notably as an early employee at Clout, as well as a co-founder and CEO at SendUp. Uh, these days, I spend most of my time coaching founders, and I've helped more than a 1,000 startups over the years. And we all have lots and lots of knowledge, some of which is actually useful, surprisingly enough, over our careers buying and selling and starting and building companies. And so we're here to answer your questions. The Startup Help Desk is exactly that. It's a help desk where we answer your questions. If you have a question, submit it on our website, thestartuphelpdesk.com, or on Twitter, the Startup HD. So all the questions you'll hear today are questions submitted just by founders just like you on our website via Twitter or through Carrier Pigeon, which I was skeptical about. Ash had to talk me into it, but the Carrier Pigeon channel is working well. Today, we have a very special episode because the market's turned and a lot of founders are asking about exits. How do I sell my company? When do I sell my company? I'm running out of money. What are my options? So today, all the questions we'll answer are following the theme of selling our companies. And Ash, Nick, and I have all sold our companies. Um, I think we've all invested in companies that have been sold and bought. I've bought a few companies myself. Nick and Ash, I don't know your experience. But we've played both sides of this game. We've seen it up ways, down ways, all inside out. So let's jump into it. Our first question about selling companies is, when do you start thinking about selling? When is the right time to start considering selling your company as an option? What do you think, Ash? So I have bad news. As the saying goes, companies are bought, not sold. So it's not really your decision. That means you really shouldn't be thinking about it at all unless someone approaches you inbound and actually maybe even be pretty skeptical of that inbound interest as well. Of course, the other case is it's your last resort and it really does need to be a last resort because the probability of success is so low and it just requires an inordinate amount of time to get it over the finish line. So if someone approaches you, you probably want to ask them to put a number in an email, not to write a contract or a letter of intent, but we want to demonstrate that they are serious. And that will actually scare off most of the people who are probably going to be sniffing around or kicking the tires and aren't uh, that serious about getting you a number in the near term. So that would turn away most people. Uh, if you do have to sell, though, just remember that it's going to take at least six months and probably one to two people's full time focus against that really low chance of success. So 5% at best. I mean, 
a lot of us, we've been lucky as three to sell our companies, but many people just as talented as us with great businesses were not that lucky. It really is a matter of luck. And again, really should be a last resort. And so Ash, a quick follow-up question. So you say the companies are bought, not sold. They'll come to you, but everyone seems to think that acquisitions are the natural and, and the frankly, most companies that exit are acquired where do you think that disconnect comes from? Why is it that everyone kind of thinks of a, an exit as a last resort or, or a backup plan when you're saying that it's actually really rare that it happens at all? Well, you have to remember the massive numbers involved. There's thousands of thousands of companies each year raising seed rounds, and very few of them are going to be acquired. Now, the ones that are acquired are going to talk about it, and la- they'll talk about it loudly, and they're going to get uh, press and prestige from that. So that's the reason why we see it happening and perhaps assume that it's going to be uh, our natural end, uh, regardless of how well the company is doing. But just because so few companies are bought versus how many are funded, you really can't bank on it happening at all. In almost all cases, it's going to go to failure. Makes sense. Nick, what do you think, man? When do you, When should founders start to think about selling? This is so good. So before I give a a little bit of context on my answer here, I do want to ask on two fronts things that Ash mentioned. So one, you mentioned that when it comes time to sell, it can take up to six months with one to two people's full-time focus. And so then how do you do that? If you've got one or two folks leading the way, what do you communicate to your team at that juncture in order to make sure that people can understand how you're giving this that level of full-time focus? Oh, I'm going to jump in now. I'm going to referee oh, this. So Nick, okay. well, I get, you're getting ahead of it, Nick. Our very next question is on that topic. So That's let's so put good. a pin in that till we get to the next question here on the Startup Help Desk. Let's finish off with this one about when do we know that it's time to sell? And then we'll start talking about what you actually do if you've decided it's time. All right. I like it. Just so you know, though, I'm going to be keeping tabs here. I want to know about how you have those one to two folks full-time focus, how you divide it up. So here's my take on this one. Number one, the best way to be acquired, as Ash has mentioned, is not to need to be acquired. And so ultimately, you want to be able to create circumstances where you have leverage. I bring this up because ultimately, on your startup journey, ideally, you want to be able to find, you want to be able to find ways where you can get lucky. And so ultimately, what that means is an acquisition process should start earlier than you think. If you wait until you're short on time, it can show. And so the acquirer can be able to sniff that out and may realize that this is not necessarily the best opportunity. So the way that you increase your surface area for luck is you build great relationships with large customers, with your competitors. And so build real relationships where you're speaking to each other, learning from each other, and then ultimately build relationships with other major companies that could be acquirers. In short, increase the odds that you can be able to have a meaningful relationship that ultimately could turn into an acquisition. At that stage, you're at least giving yourself a fighting chance to make it all possible. So I would say the only thing that I counter on Ash's thought here is start earlier in that you're just finding new ways to build potential opportunities for serendipity. I have to agree with Nick on that. That is Second time founders and repeat founders, they do this early where you build relationships with executives at potential acquirers. Maybe they're competitors, maybe they're larger companies, but you cannot build those relationships when you're running out of money and you're desperate. You have to do it early. And it increases the chances, by the way, that they will have interest in acquiring you. It is very rare that somebody will coldly reach out to you and offer to buy your company if they don't know you. 
So getting to know them, have lunch with them. You don't have to give them your company secrets. Just get to know them well enough that if they really start to get interested or you need to have that discussion, it's not a cold email. It's not a cold phone call. It's somebody who knows you. And the more of those you have, you want to spend a lot of time on it. But the more you have, the more likely it is you'll have a, a better outcome. It's a good point, Nick. Well, let's let's move on to our next question. And I kind of gave a preview of it. But anyway, Nick, what is the next question on the queue for the help desk today? Yeah, let's do it. So how do you sell? If you've got an opportunity or you're pursuing an acquisition opportunity, how do you do it? Okay, I'll jump in on this one first. So if you were going to sell your company, and we'll talk later about investment bankers and these things, but regardless of whether or not you use investment bankers, there's essentially three phases of the process. Phase one is having all these discussions with potential acquirers. And when I say a potential acquirer, I don't just mean a big company. I mean an executive at one of these companies who can be the champion for your, your deal, the person who would sponsor this acquisition. And that person, the way you should think about it, that person's going to have to essentially leverage or gamble their career or risk their career on sponsoring your acquisition. That's how big of a deal acquisitions are. Is somebody's going to risk their career to make this happen. And you'll have those discussions and you'll have a lot of those discussions. Usually I recommend founders have a list of at least 50, 100 executives at companies they can talk to, different companies, because most of them won't go anywhere. But some of them, especially if you've built relationship, if you've built value, will turn into phase two where you're actually having active discussions about the acquisition. They'll do due diligence. They'll want to hear about your company. You'll have to sell them on why buying your company is a good idea. But hopefully you don't have to sell them that hard because they see where that is and you're essentially connecting the dots for them. It's hard. Most companies acquire very few companies in their lives. They're very bad at it. So phase two, where you're having these discussions can seem difficult. It can seem long. It's inefficient. It can sometimes feel like you're not going anywhere. But if you're successful, phase three is when you get an LOI. An LOI is a term sheet from a potential acquirer about what the deal might look like. And hopefully you get more than one if you're very lucky. And you can start negotiating those term sheets, the LOIs against each other and go through the closing process. But frankly, the hardest part about this is that phase one, you're, do, you're doing a bunch of outreach. It's not going to feel super productive because most of those companies won't be interested. Phase two is a long slog because you're having these meetings with companies. It can last, as Ash said, six months, maybe longer. And then phase three is hard because then you're negotiating the future of your company. And the minute you sign that LOI, you're on a roller coaster, man. We'll talk about that later. But Ash, what did I miss, man? I kind of some broad brushstrokes and something that is very much not a it's a very detail-oriented game yeah i have a funnel unsurprisingly so let's just run through that i like your number of 50 first meetings as the general goal for what kind of distribution you're looking for so in order to get to 50 first meetings with executives at companies you're probably going to need to look at 150 to 200 targets not everyone's going to respond to your outreach in those situations. Everyone knows what the game is. And, you know, there's a lot of people looking for acquisitions, especially right now. So that really means digging through every uh, every network connection that you have. And because of that volume requirement, a lot of people might be attracted to using bankers. And I would just caution you about that because their big promises tend to be quite hollow. And also a lot of acquirers are wary of bankers when they reach out as well, knowing that the banker is obviously incentivized uh, on a sale rather than what's best for the acquirer. So uh, as a general principle with acquisitions, they're very, very hard. So you need to be looking for any offer at all, even if it's an offer you do not want to accept. So 
Uh, once you've got people who are perhaps interested, we're in our third or fourth meeting, we are being open about our discussions on the sale process or deep partnership process. Uh, then we're looking for anything. So that might mean even an acqui an aqua hire. Uh, that means that's a zero for the investors and a zero for all the stockholders, but jobs for the team members. So with that bad offer in hand, you can then go to your other leads in the pipeline and perhaps pressure them a little bit with the time scarcity to get a decision from them and maybe get a perhaps a bidding war going. But that is obviously very, very low probability. The other thing I want to just highlight is that the legal process after you have an agreement is long and far from guaranteed. So you need to understand that the legal costs are going to be very large. And even if the acquisition doesn't close, you'll still be liable to pay those. And you also need to make a realistic plan for runway because the legal process could take three, six months in addition to how long it took you to get the offer. So if you don't have enough cash on hand, then your company could fail before the acquisition closes. And again, that's a zero. Never a good thing. Yeah, <laughs> never, absolutely. Never a good thing. <laughs> Sean, Ash, I had a question. So how do you, what do you communicate to the team at this juncture? Ultimately, of course, you're going to be managing this process, perhaps managing the fact that you have a live product with customers, managing a team as well. What do you communicate to the team when you're investigating such an opportunity? I, think so. I have a very strong opinion here. I don't think you should tell them anything. I think that it's bad enough at a startup when people start counting their money at the table. And if you start talking about an acquisition, people are going to be doing that all the time and make very little progress. I think you can talk about you uh, working on a, a deep partnership with a couple of uh, companies and it's a stealth project right now. Everyone's going to pretty much figure out what's going on but you really can't have too many discussions about it because, again, it's really low probability. And sharing that with the team is much more likely to cause damage when it doesn't work out. Yeah, I, I, I think that's absolutely true. There's essentially three points when you could choose to tell the team. You can tell the team when you're about to close, when you've closed the deal. That's probably that's going usually going to happen. You could tell the team when you sign that LOI, meaning you sign the term sheet. That's risky because it might not close, but at the same time, the team will probably figure out there's something going on. And you can tell the team when you start the process, which is almost universally, as Ash said, a bad idea because who knows what's going to happen. So the longer you can wait to tell the team, the better because expectations will run away with themselves. And Ash is right. People will start to treat the company differently if they think it's going to sell. And nobody knows this process because it's so difficult. But I want to come back. Ash, you mentioned something. You're, you sound pretty down on, on investment bankers. I've had a good experience with investment bankers, but maybe there's a nuance. In general, investment bankers are great if you're going to sell your company for more than $200 million. But if you're going to sell it for less than $200 million, I think that's absolutely true that investment bankers are probably not a good use of your time. And frankly, most good investment bankers won't even help you because that's too small and not a big enough deal. Maybe that's a nuance where we can agree, Ash. Is that your experience as well? Yeah. So I've not been involved in too many nine-figure acquisitions, so that would certainly lean us towards um, your feedback there. I would say, though, that remember, Amazon went public uh, at that kind of valuation. So nowadays, rather than trying to sell at that, I would urge you to instead uh, think about going public because uh, you might get a lot better returns out of that than, again, using a banker and trying to create a private bidding process. 
Fair enough. And and by the way, Ash would be happy to take you public via his SPAC. Um, and you just drop a note in the comments and he'll be happy to take you there. Uh, and one more quick note. Also, the thing about Aqua hiring too is when we talk about Aqua hires, that's the, the acquirer wants your team in, in lieu of going out there and hiring a bunch of people. Most Aqua hires are at most maybe 12 people. Like that's a big Aqua hire. If your team is is larger than that, like 20 or 30 people, it's probably not going to be an aqua hire. It's just too many people for most companies to absorb all at once. So just keep in mind that like these the rules we're talking about depend a lot on the size of your company and the kind of acquisition outcome that you're looking for. Everything can change. Everything can be different when it's a good idea to use an investment banker or not. And when you have aqua hire, even as an option or not, the good news is if you're a bigger company, you probably have a lot more potential acquirers in terms of your partners and customers and you probably have a lot more value you've created in, in the business that might be acquired. So acquirers may not even be necessary in that world. A lot of founders make that mistake as well. They think they're preserving enterprise value by not cutting the team as they move towards a, a financial crisis and a, a desperate acquisition, when in actual fact, cutting costs, making the business more sustainable and, and reducing the team will make it more attractive uh, for that last second acquisition. Agreed. No, that's a really good point. That's a really good point. You need leverage and it takes, it just takes so long at so many founders, you guys, I don't know, Nick and Ash, have you seen this? So many founders think that they they can just go out there and start a sale process and they have three months of runway left and they'll just sell the company. And it's just, it's a shame when that happens because honestly you need like nine months, if, if, if not a year to be able to get a, a deal closed. If you want a good one for sure. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah. Cool. Well, let's move on to our last question of the day. Um, Ash, what is the last question here on our queue of questions about selling companies? All right. Last one. How do you close on an acquisition? How do you close that sale? All right. I'll hop in with the first take here. So you've seen a theme with some of our responses here, and you're going to see this theme continue. Ultimately, being an optimist can have many benefits for you as a founder. For acquisitions, it's best to start with the other side of this coin. Assume your sale won't go through. So with that assumption that your sale won't go through as a nice focal point, you can start deploying some best practices to quote unquote de-risk this assumption. Ultimately, in this acquisition, the acquirer is often buying the product, customers, and team. And so you can communicate strongly at each stage in order to demonstrate that this is a strong team that they want. You can create urgency you can create urgency by setting clear roadmaps and then defining what are the steps that are going to go into this deal. And then ultimately, the thing that's always in season is continuously demonstrating that you provide value, i.e. you're solving some key problem or desire for the acquirer. And so ultimately, if you keep advancing forward by reaching new milestones, that can be a great way to have the right kind of leverage and urgency to get it done. That being said, it's quite difficult and there's a lot that goes into it. Sean, oh, what's your take? I think you're so right, Nick. That last part, I call it the good news train, which is you always want there to be more good news. If you're going through a closing process, it's not done until the money's in the bank. You want to, every time you talk to that acquirer, and it might be every day, you want more good news, a new customer you close, revenue growing, new features coming out. So the more momentum you create, the more likely you are to have them be excited about the acquisition. But you're absolutely right. Assume it's going to fall through. Because so many of these deals do, and they fall through like the last minute. 
it's crazy how many stories I have about deals that fell through literally the day before they were supposed to close. And I think if you're a venture back founder, you've raised venture capital funding. If you assign a term sheet with a venture fund, a reputable venture fund, the chances that real, that round closes are very high. The problem is if you sign a term sheet for almost anything else, including an acquisition, the chances it closes are not that high. And if you're used to the conversion rates of venture capital financing rounds, you can kind of get a little bit misled. You should assume it will fall through because honestly, the chances are better than 50-50 that it will between signing the LOI and closing the deal. So that means that you have to be ready for what happens if it does. You can't put all your eggs in one basket. Another reason why you need more runway, you don't want to have the deal fall through and you run out of money and you're left with no options because that happens far too often. So do your best to plan, do your best to create urgency. And and going back, I think Ash mentioned this beginning, that's so true. The buyer is choosing to buy your company and they can change their mind at any time right up until they wire you the money. So make sure that if they make that choice that you're not left out to dry because it happens oh so often across the board. Sean, why is there no reputational cost to these companies for behaving this way? That is actually, it's actually, it's, it's a fantastic question and people don't realize this. So if you look at most acquirers and Google and Amazon and Facebook are somewhat different in this and that they acquire lots of companies, most businesses in their entire lives of that business will acquire maybe two or three companies. And so they're honestly not very good at it. Um, there's this, this area, most companies, the group that handles acquired acquisitions called corporate development. Most companies don't have corporate development. And even if they do, corporate development doesn't do much acquiring. And so they're not very good at it. Um, and so they frankly don't have reputational risk because it's not even something that they're pursuing very often. It's not something they're doing very well. And if, if an acquirer actually does need to acquire, they've decided, listen, we need to participate in this new space, they will work with investment bankers. They'll work through proxies. And, some, and so unlike venture capital, where a venture capital firm wants to make a whole bunch of, act, of investments every year, and a, your average acquirer may acquire a company every few years, and by that happens, nobody remembers. There's no social network of founders sharing information about how getting acquired by company X is so poor. Unlike in the investment community, if an investor writes you a term sheet, signs a term sheet, but they don't close around, word gets out, they can't make their next investments, they're kind of stuck. The other difference is venture capital firms have to invest their fund. The agreement they have with LPs, they have to invest. Acquirers, they don't have to buy anything, so they can choose to just poke around. In fact, Rupert Murdoch uh, is well known for going through this acquisition process for the exclusive reason of getting access to all of the detailed confidential information about competitors and then bailing out, he never had any intention of buying the company. He just wanted to get access to all their secrets. That happens too. Wow, I left both Nick and Ash speechless. That's a, that's a fun. That's a fun way to end that note. <laughs> that's right. We need to bring you the happy endings. That's, that's right. That's, that's it is it. tough out there. We need we need a happier note, Nick and Ash. What is the happy ending here? Obviously. Companies do get acquired. It's life-changing for founders when that happens sometimes. What is the good news about acquisitions that we can share with everybody to close? I think that even if it's not going to happen, just remember that you've still become a lot more valuable in your professional career. So for many, many founders who are going through an acquisition process, it will not be a good outcome at the end. And that's totally fine. It doesn't mean that you're not going to have success in the job that you get maybe through the acquire hire 
or your next role, or perhaps you know converting that business via pivot to something else and starting over. All of those things I've seen many, many times over. So don't attach any self-worth to the acquisition. That's the good news I have, I guess. That's so good. Yeah, I'll just end with a note that we talk about this often for startups. Find getting lucky is a key piece of many startups' great outcomes. And so ultimately on this journey, if you can build momentum and then increase your surface area for luck, you got a chance. There's a chance out there for sure, but obviously it's hard work and it takes some time. Well, I, the good news I have for everybody is if if Ash, Nick and I can sell our companies, if, he, if us buffoons can do it, then there is a chance for you. That's a good way to put it. can make it happen. Anybody can make it happen. That's my optimistic take for you on this topic. Well, we're out of time. We've covered a lot of parts of selling your company. It's not easy, but we wish you good luck if you're going through it. As always, Nick and Ash, thanks a lot for the discussion. Thank you all. Thanks, guys. Great to chat. Well, it was great to hear my voice, at least. Always, always (laughs) great. That's for sure. If you have a question we'd love to answer in a future episode, please head over to thestartuphelpdesk.com or find us on Twitter as thestartuphd. We'd love to answer your questions in a future episode. But for now, the Startup Help Desk is closed and we will see you next time.